This week's episode is brought to you by Campaign Refinery, an amazing new email marketing automation tool. Look, in the world of digital marketing, there's a lot to keep track of. We all know this. As much as we're in love with social media and the power of social conversation here at Social Link and on the All About Digital Marketing podcast, we are well aware at just how powerful email marketing can be. Email marketing is not dead. In fact, it's never been more important to help you leverage your presence everywhere else into the one channel that you'll own, regardless of what changes Facebook, Twitter, or any other platform makes in the future. I've known the founder, Travis Ketchum, for years, and he's been a past guest on the podcast, episode 15, if you want to listen to it. I've personally used his other products before, and they've been fantastic. The amount of thought that he's put into each and every one of what he's created has been incredible. I'd highly encourage you to try their free 14-day trial at campaignrefinery.com to see what world-class email marketing automation can do for you and your business. Massive thank you to Travis and Campaign Refinery for their support of the All About Digital Marketing show. Welcome to the All About Digital Marketing podcast. The show all about digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing. Brought to you by Socialink, a digital marketing agency specializing in social media and content marketing for brave brands and forward-thinking SMEs. I'm your host, Chris Bruno, and as always, we're here to bring you the most actionable tips, tricks, tools, and insights to help you achieve more when it comes to your digital marketing. Subscribe to the show and be sure to share with a friend if you found something useful or interesting. You can find all the show notes and more information on www.allaboutdigitalmarketing.co.uk. Diony, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Chris. So I'm excited about this conversation because today we're going to be talking about growth within a business, but we're also going to be talking about how to do it sustainably. And that's something that's really important to me. But before we get started, Diony, you uh, and your husband, I believe, work on the company Umbrella, which is Paperform. And before we get started, can you give the people, the listeners, a little bit of an introduction into yourself, how you got started and where you guys are at so far? Sure thing. Uh, So uh, how we got started, we started Paperform at the end of 2016. And my background originally is actually... Uh, in ancient history and archaeology, uh, but I found myself working in the intersection between culture and tech and very much facilitating uh, uh, cultural collections, uh, allowing them to show who they are and, in a sense, showing their, their brand as well as their collections to the world. And uh, Dean, who is, as you said, my husband and co-founder, is a web developer and he'll never really admit it to anyone, but he's a brilliant web developer, so I have to sing his praises for him. And uh, he was working uh, for a small startup uh, at the time that that Paperform, I guess, was born. And uh, he had people coming to him, asking him constantly to build them forms. And with all of the uh, companies that existed in the market, we just both thought, what is going on here that that people keep coming to him and asking him to create forms. And so we realised that there was uh, a very big gap in the market for forms that allowed people to truly show their brand and who they were and uh, and also something that was much more powerful than a simple survey form. 
Uh, and so uh, Dean started working so- on something. He asked me if I wanted to jump on board as co-founder uh, because I love operations. I love bringing things together uh, and all the little pieces and making them work. And we launched in 2016 and, uh, yeah, the, the rest is history. I'm actually I'm a bit of a, a ball of nervous energy tonight because we're, we're just on the cusp of I think we're at 300 uh, MRR away from hitting a mil ARR tonight, which is really exciting. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 almost bizarre saying it out loud because when we started Paperform, uh, our goal was to create a lifestyle business, and it's we're very ambitious people naturally, so I'm not surprised that we've gotten to this point and given up on the idea that it's a lifestyle business, but. Originally, that was our intention, is living in Sydney just to be able to sustain ourselves and and to to buy a house here one day, you know, for our family. Uh, but it kind of just snowballed from that, yeah. So for everyone that's listening and that doesn't know much about Sydney and real estate, uh, I've got some good friends who have owned apartments in Sydney. It's ridiculously expensive. Yeah. It's a ridiculously expensive and, in my opinion, it's an incredibly it's a fantastic place to live. So it's expensive, but it's desirable. So um, yeah, I mean, looking at a family home, you're probably looking at at least 1.5 million, if not two. Uh, so that was a lot of incentive for us to, <laughs> to start our own our own business. So Paperform uh, is, is a form builder, but it's become almost its own animal, uh, no code animal that allows people to build anything from uh, payment forms, registrations, and we even now support uh, very complex, almost Excel-style calculations, uh, and that alongside with payments and, and custom customised payments uh, allows the tool to be used for a, a huge uh, number of use cases across a lot of industries. So <laughs> it, it can be a challenge sometimes, I think, trying to just pick out single use cases for it. Well, I think what's really interesting about this, and especially the way that you describe it as starting it as a lifestyle business, mm. it, it started by the sounds of things really like a, a passion project, right? There was a clear need, there was a clear void in the market, and people were asking for these particular things. Um, so it starts literally almost organically, and its growth by the sounds of it has almost just been fueled by its own the, the, its own gap in the market to fill. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we were in some. I mean, I don't want to say lucky because I think there's only a you know certain uh, way that luck will take you. But uh, for us, the the problem that needed to be solved came to a dean again and again and again. And it was that our friends and family and people, associates, whoever, they were really stuck in finding a form builder that allowed them to really empowered them to to build and manage their own forms but also something that looked like it was theirs Uh, and that was important not just because uh, you you want something to look pretty but also because when something looks like yours it conveys your brand it it really allows people to trust you uh, and for everything to be seamless and that is a lot more important than people think it is for responses uh, especially for administrational forms, people think that you know admin forms, registration forms, they really don't need to be aesthetically pleasing. But if you want a response, even from something like that, you do have to keep people engaged. So that really came through to us very strongly. So originally, our, our and it still is to this day, 
Um, our motto is easy, beautiful, yours, because they were the three pain points that people just kept coming back to us with. And then once we had that, it was easy in a lot of ways to just jump on board and, and to get passionate. And the response very early on was so positive that it, it, it did just snowball and, um, and we have not had our appetite satisfied yet. So it just keeps on growing. That's fantastic. And I love how simplistic that mission is, right? Um, so you just said it easy, beautiful, uh, and yours. Yeah. That defines absolutely everything, right? And I'm guessing that probably helps with the features and, and everything else that you continue to build. Um, a quick question for you, because I've worked with a lot of different startups. We've been lucky enough to, to help and mentor and run sessions with WeWork Labs in the UK. One of the things that I find a lot of people uh, have an issue with, especially when they're first-time founders or they've just started out, is they forget that the only thing that really matters is what the customer wants. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, how do you run that side of things in terms of really making sure that what you're building out is the next logical step, not just for you, but also actually more importantly for your customers? Yeah, that's a great question. I think before you said a really important word and it was simple. We started out uh, because it was a lifestyle business uh, we had a very simple approach. We we didn't have visions of grandeur and it allowed us, I think, to just say, well, hold on a minute, what would be the simplest solution for this? Not that the product itself would be uh, would be lacking in complexities that it needed, but how can we just address, the, you know, these three issues? And so we launched an MVP very quickly. Dean would get up every morning, I think, at 5 a.m. before his other work and and uh, would work on Form and built an MVP, I think, from June, uh, and it was well and truly ready by December. And uh, actually, no, when we went to beta in August after two months. So we got it into people's hands really quickly and we had a lot of conversations early on uh, getting feedback on, on the product so that we could refine it. The feedback that we got early on wasn't from paying customers, though. It was, you know, via beta list, and that was okay, but it was very theoretical. The, what made the biggest difference was we ended up being contacted by AppSumo, which I don't know if you've heard of them before. They're a, a deals site. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, based in America. And, and so we launched with them. You know, we, we had, Dean and I had absolutely no marketing, no marketing background uh, experience really, or very little. Uh, I should give us some, some credit. Uh, and, and so when someone comes to you and says, I have this huge mailing list and I love your product and I want to do a deal for, uh, with it and we'll take a significant cut, but it'll be worth it. And you see the value in that, you, you know, you jump on it. So then we had, when we launched in December with AppSumo, we all of a sudden had thousands of very loud, uh, mostly very lovely um, people who needed the product to do even more than it did, but they needed it done yesterday. And their conversations that you can't ignore. Uh, so that was really important when you have people who are, you know, putting cash in your hands saying, I, I need this thing to, to, to do X, Y, Z. Uh, and then because we had the volume, we were able to discern what actually made sense for the product. So you can't do everything and you can't be everything to everyone. But when you have enough volume and enough noise coming in, you really see patterns and trends starting to happen. But that's that's all well and good. Uh, I think what really makes the difference um, is the quality of the conversation. So one argument that Dean and I had really early on 
Um, and we argue in a really great way all the time. I think it's one of the things that en ends up helping us make good decisions. So he won't mind me saying this at all, was that uh, he didn't think that it was sustainable or feasible to, uh, and in some ways he was kind of right long-term, to have conversations with people live all the time. So because we launched with AppSumo, the majority of our market uh, was based instantly in the US. And what that meant for us as Australians was that they were on and actively using the product at night when we into the AMs um, through to early morning for us. And so I was so obsessed with having, because I'd, I'd had such good experiences previously working for Google Arts and Culture, uh, talking with our partners about the products they were using, uh, I was bent on having those live conversations with people from the beginning. And so I would literally set my alarm every two and a half to three hours at a minimum and wake up and have as many live conversations as I could and follow up on the ones that have been waiting. And then, yeah, go back to sleep and then two hours later, wake up. So I was very much a business baby, really. Uh, and th those conversations allowed us to not, to, to have, you know, this volume of feature requests for uh, an MVP, but it, it contextualises them properly. So oftentimes you'll have someone who asks for a feature, but what they're asking for isn't what they really need. Uh, there's usually a better solution for it, but you can't figure that out unless you have the conversation with them. So talking to people was important for the product. It was just vital for the product. And then the other side of it was that we just really wanted to treat people as humans. Uh, you know, as a SaaS company, I think it can be easy to just see people as numbers, uh, especially as you grow, but every single person who has a subscription is a person and we have to remember that and and talk to them and get to know them better. And it's just beneficial, I think, for the business in every way. So there's there's like three or four, maybe five things that you've said in that that were just <laughs> phenomenal. Um, so you mentioned before we started recording that you do have kids and it sounds yeah. like the latest baby is the company. This idea of waking up every three to four hours to be able to, uh, to, to, to nourish it, basically. <laughs> I think that's yeah. huge, right? Yeah. Our first baby, actually, because we, um, it sounds crazy when I say it out loud, but we, we, we launched paper form and then like a I think maybe two years later, we had our first kid. And then a year later, we had our second. So the company is the eldest. Yes, the eldest, the firstborn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the younger ones are going to love that story in a few years' time. Um, but there was a couple of other bits that you mentioned there as well. And I think this is really important, right? The conversations that you're having, if you are starting something, and it doesn't matter what it is, it can be service-based, it can be online, it can be a SaaS product, it doesn't matter. But those initial conversations and what you learn from them, and like you said, the patterns and trends that you start to see, obviously you can't be all things to all people, but that feedback and and that sort of feedback loop is almost instantaneous and it is filled with golden nuggets for people to find yeah. and I'm amazed every time when I do meet a company and they're in those early stages or they do have an MVP working that they're not having more of these conversations and that they're not yeah. listening to what their audience wants because ultimately that that part of listening and again you can't please everybody but finding those patterns and trends makes a huge difference because you're creating absolute fans, right? You're creating hardcore raving yeah. lunatic fans who love what you do because the product just keeps getting better and it's getting better in the way that the majority of people wanted to see it improve. But also there's a massive difference, which is 
you're not spending hours hypothesizing about what it is that you should be doing next. Yeah, exactly. And, and it allows you to respond. I mean, uh, the previous discussion that I listened to that you had with uh, Fernando, he, he talked in particular about responding and I was just like in my kitchen going, yes, that's right. Because for us, responding meant not only responding in real time and and gaining more context and insight into what people needed, but it allowed us to rapid fire out features that made sense. So in the first 12 months, we uh, released, and when I say we, I really mean Dean, uh, released probably between one to three features a week, new features, and some of them were significant. Uh, email responses, uh, integrations, uh, very shortly after the AppSumo launch, Zapier reached out to us and allowed us to connect Paperform with uh, I think at the time it was 750 apps and now it's over 1,500. Uh, but it, when you have when you have those live conversations, you respond in real time and then people see the next week or the week after you updating the product in response to them. The momentum that you get from that in terms of brand awareness and the way that people talk about you is is significant the impact is significant so we grew I mean it's easy to grow you know by a huge percentage early on right but in the 12, first 12 months we grew on average I'd say 15 to 20 percent month on month uh, without having an intentional marketing strategy purely by having building out this product as best we could and maintaining a high quality and 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 being very clear about the quality the high quality of the product to ensure that we were attracting the right kinds of customers. And that was coupled with the best support that we could possibly provide at the time. Um, and, and then moving forward, we had to think about uh, sustainability because, you know, it's, it's not sustainable for a, a person to wake up every two hours and jump online and talk to people. It's not healthy. It's not sustainable. It's just what we did in the beginning. Uh, so it, it is very much about scaling and growing that as well. I think that's awesome. And to be honest, I think that if everyone, if everyone listening only takes one thing away, and that is listening, I think that they could all learn something. Um, I have to ask, when you were listening to the other episode and you're listening to Fernando talking about this and how important the listening is, was there any moment where you're like that? You see, Dean, this is why I did it. <laughs> No, and, and this is a thing. For, we, we, there are two very big moments that we had like that, and and for both of us, it was, uh, you know, one of us was wrong in each instance, and uh, I think both of us are very happy to be wrong if it's uh, if it's good for the business. Uh, and and he did. He saw the value in it, and it, I think it's a product of the way that the lot of, a lot of uh, tech companies operate, and particularly big tech companies, they really separate out their devs. Uh, and their product team, they they push them for some reason very far away from support, or at least that's what I've seen and experienced. Uh, and they're living in their own little box, and and it's very hard to create a product that is human when you're separated from people. Uh, you know, you can build something that's logical, but people aren't logical. Uh, it might be logical on the back end, but the way that the UI operates has to be human. And that's where I think your product team in particular has to have some kind of a direct connection uh, with with the end user, even for a short amount of time. So it's getting harder to, to do this now, but we've tried to make sure that each member on our team uh, has done a fairly significant amount of, of work in support, direct conversations with the customers. 
even even marketing you know our, our team when they started out they did at least a day a week of of live conversations first response support because we valued it but I've been even in other jobs so you know working I used to work uh, as a, a gallery officer so you know just walking around on museum and and gallery floors making sure that the the rules were adhered to answering questions that came up and it really blew my mind when the executive staff would make decisions about exhibitions uh, that made no sense whatsoever because they had no idea how the visitors really interacted with exhibitions and some of them were really practical like they would they would create an exhibition that would appeal very strongly to children but be very expensive and um, and valuable and have a lot of you know historic significance but then they would put up put up these almost non-existent barriers around the exhibit and then they would wonder why so much of you know the costumes or whatever it was would get destroyed uh, and if they had spent one day walking around on the floor and just observing how people operated and moved through the spaces they they'd know and so I I, I hope that at least, you know, if it's once a week, if it's once a month as we continue to grow, that Dean and I can at least spend some time jumping on, we use intercom, so jumping on intercom and having real-time conversations with users. Because I think part of it is osmosis as well. There's the the very obvious, I almost get frustrated with myself because I think sometimes I just get lost in a conversation and I, I absorb a lot of what's being said, but then I have to stop and remember to articulate and extract what's been said because uh, it's a, it can be a good, it's a double-edged sword um, to be in conversations all the time because you have to find a process for extracting the useful information. But at the same time, decision-making becomes very intuitive when you are just listening to people and talking to them constantly, even as in, you know, at an executive level. So I think this brings me back to probably the last point that I had from about three conversations ago, but the idea that you said something that really stuck out, uh, seeing customers as people. And this Mm. is something that I shout about uh, and I get very kind of energy high, let's call it, as opposed to emotional or anything else. When I'm talking to clients, people seem to forget and they seem to hide behind B2B, B2C, SaaS, e-commerce, whatever it is that they think that they're doing. And regardless of whatever it is, for me, what's really important is the human-to-human connection, right? And this is something we spoke about a little bit just before we um, we got we jumped on to record. But for me, this is one of the most fundamental uh, and most important parts for any business owner, for any business, and even for any different role within that business is understanding that you're not transacting with a company. You're selling to another human being who has a personality, who has a life, who has struggles, who has problems, who has good moments, who has interests, who has hobbies, who has all sorts of things. And this idea of taking that time to communicate, and like you said, almost getting lost in the conversation, right? You're almost forgetting what the original reason was, and you're trying to sort of quickly, right, but let's make sure I extract the important parts that I needed. But that relationship building is probably worth 400x any of the features that you could roll out. Yeah, absolutely. In so many ways as well. Uh, like for us uh, in that first year especially, it, I, there were times where I'd be talking to someone and I wouldn't be paying attention immediately to their um, their email address, their domain, and 
Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, they'd say to me, hey, I, you know, I talked about Zapier before. Hey, I'm so-and-so from Zapier. Have you thought about integrating with us? I'm actually um, working on, I, I'm in partnerships and I know that we'd love to connect with you. And you instantly have an in. Uh, it's the complete opposite of of cold, <laughs> cold email marketing. You know, they literally come to you. And the amount of times that I've talked to someone and and then they've turned out to be a really valuable relationship uh, I just think it's such a, a it's it's a, a much better f- approach in that it, it keeps you humble, but it also brings about opportunities that you never would really think to pursue. It, so it, it it keeps you very very creative. I welcome. I love it. I love when someone says, "Hey, I'm I'm from such and such," and they they pitch something, and it just makes sense for us. And all of a sudden, two weeks later, we're organising a a launch or some kind of integration. So there's potential for partnerships. There's uh, what you learn about the product, what you learn about your customers. Uh, and and I think an important thing to say as well is being human uh, is about being respectful and kind but also being very candid. So a lot of the conversations that we had early on and even have to this day aren't necessarily hi, you know, we're going to do whatever you want us to do uh, at all. A lot of them are, oh, you need us to do this thing. We actually don't do that and it's it's not the direction that the product's going in. So uh, paper form might not be the best solution for you. It, it, a lot of what we do is just having enough candor to, to be able to be very clear to our customers about whether or not, you know, paper form is right for them or our leads about whether or not paper form is right for them. And that's a that kind of human interaction is very valuable as well because it means that they might not use us for this particular use case, but if they've had a very positive interaction and we've been honest with them, they appreciate that and they keep us in mind. And when they go and do something else or when they start a new job uh, and they do have a use case that, that paper form's appropriate for, they'll come back to us because they've had a, a real interaction with someone. And I think that's huge, right? Because you're straight away, like you said, being honest. Uh, as an agency owner, we talk to clients and quite often, you know, we'll actually have to say, look, the agency approach might not be right for you. Yeah. Maybe you need to break this down, find some freelancers, build this up slowly until you have more revenue, more capital to be able to justify what the expense would be. And I think that's something that does two things, right? It One, again, it strengthens that relationship. So there is a case to be made for a future conversation when they're in a better care, better situation. And that is perfect because they know that you're open, that you're honest, that it's not just about the money, that you're not just trying to screw people and get them into your platform, yeah. but actually that you're trying your hardest to find other alternatives or even introducing somebody to somebody else, whatever it might be. What you're also doing is you're filtering out your audience Mm. from that moment as well and I think that's also really important because you don't want to be the wrong product for the wrong person and therefore be a bad fit because that equals people saying oh this product isn't what I wanted it to be or anything else so having that candor and being honest with people at the beginning sort of weeds people out and leaves you with especially in those early days that real die-hard group of fans who like the product because it does what it should do because it meets what their needs are and that invariably helps you to build the business as well yeah absolutely you, you basically said what I was going to interrupt you to say which <laughs> should teach me to keep my mouth shut sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I, I would add to that as well and say that uh, the way that it impacts your metrics positively um, that you might not consider 
they're really important too. For example, if you if you force someone into a product that's not for them, you might get a couple of months worth of of revenue from them, but then you, I mean it's going to really negatively impact your your churn statistics. I think one of the reasons why we're very happy, although always looking to improve our, our churn rate, is because uh, we are very frank about what paper form can and can't do and what it will and won't do um, in the future. And so we don't have that liability of, of people hopping on board. or We don't often have that. Uh, there are, you know, times when it still comes up. And even something as simple operationally as issuing a refund or something like that, not only can you uh, cause yourselves all kinds of problems with with churn and and really bad interactions, but there's there's potentially a liability there if you've said that paper form will work for some for someone and it doesn't. Um, the last thing I want to do is be issuing a huge amount of refunds. <laughs> I think what's really interesting as well, there's a lot of SaaS companies out there that make it remarkably difficult for customers to be able to either ask for a refund or to be able to cancel or to close accounts or anything like that. Um, and that always makes me kind of think you've done this because you know that the product isn't necessarily right, but you're not really too interested and you're just trying to get the revenue. And like you mentioned, you might get two, three months revenue, but my but the, the bitter taste that's left in the back of my mouth um, ends up coming out when I speak to other people. And those won't be the systems that I recommend. Those won't be the ones that we talk about on this show. Those won't be the ones that we'll point clients to when when the right idea is uh, for, for them to use a platform. So I think that's something that's really important as well for people. This show is all about digital marketing. So I am going to ask you a little bit, <laughs> other than the AppSumo partnership, which sounds absolutely phenomenal and like it really did help. But what are some of the things that you guys do as a SaaS business online to, to really help you guys stand out? Uh, what, what, what do we do now or what did we do early on? Right. You can start early on and we can work through the journey. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, so, I mean, look, quite frankly, those conversations and the partnerships that came out of that were instrumental. We really only uh, focused on product uh, and those relationships and the opportunities that came out of those. Uh, we did some uh, content uh, on our blog uh, early on, not a huge amount, but what we did, we invested in. Uh, and, and I think that did okay. I don't have any stats on, on that to share with you myself. So that's a very vague response there. But when we got to the end, towards the end of uh, 2018, and we'd been growing quite well, and we finally acknowledged that this was not a lifestyle business, that this, this was turning into something else, we were very active in saying, okay, we need to hire. This is the first hire that we need is we need to fill this gap in our, in our business of of marketing and having a, an awesome marketing strategy in place. And uh, shortly after, uh, we hired someone, Vrinda Singh, who's incredible, who's our growth manager. And then shortly after that, uh, Vlad Schwetz, um, who's fantastic as well. And we have focused on SEO, AdWords. And I mean, just a, I, I love content. I think it's in a lot of ways, it's like the conversations that you have with people on support. Uh, but you know, kind of one-sided in that it's not—it's not really a discussion. But being able to communicate very clearly with people and to to show people your brand and who you are, uh, and not just pumping out rubbish, but really investing in something that that represents your brand, that helps people to uh, appreciate your product, and again is very honest uh, about about who you are. 
Uh, I think those communications, and I think they're more important now than ever um, because of the situation that we're facing with COVID. So yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, content. That sounds good to me. Um, quick question for you guys: Are you do you have an office, or are you guys all remotely based for the team? One of the things we've tried to do as well, because we've started out as a lifestyle business, is just pull as much of that culturally as we can. It's informed a lot of the culture uh, of our company. So we've never required any of our um, employees to come into an office. So, yeah, we're remote. Uh, and so I'm sitting at the moment in my office, which is a converted bedroom uh, at home. And I think we'd really like to have a, a small studio space in the city in a couple of months because we're doing fairly well in New South Wales and Australia. So that would be great if we can pull the team together. Who, those who are based in Sydney, um, I think that'll be really good. I was just intrigued. So we've been remote completely since 2016. Um, and obviously the shift because of everything that happened this year with COVID and everything else has been something that's been remarkable to watch. Um, so I'm always interested to understand a little bit whether people are looking for offices or if they're happy with the remote structure. Um, so I think that's really interesting that you guys are actually looking to get some some space just so that you can bring people together. Well, what's really funny as well is that you know, operationally for us, the the pandemic didn't didn't change our lives very much at all, except for you know socially uh, not being able to go and, and see our loved ones for a while. The, the rules in Australia were, were quite strict very early on, but operationally, not much changed. Uh, it, COVID was really interesting. We had, I can be very honest about this. We, we try and be as transparent as possible. Uh, we had the, the first week in March that it really, I think, sunk into people's brains that this was a big deal and uh, economically it started to to take hold. We saw for the first time uh, negative growth, which wasn't, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't significant. But if I'm being transparent, we haven't really seen any negative growth. Uh, We're bootstrapped, which means that we have to be profitable because we need a runway and the runway, you know, it's our cash. We don't have any other capital. Uh, so it's really important. <laughs> growth is is very, very important. Negative growth is something that we're not used to seeing. And within the space of a week, we saw what we would consider to be significant negative growth. And we were like, okay, we need to just stop. Don't panic. Uh, let's make some wise decisions and just plan some some strategies based on potential scenarios that would come up. But what we found was very quickly after that, so we, I mean, we did all of that and we pulled our team together and, and told them what was going on and, uh, you know, this is how we're going to respond depending on what happens. Uh, but uh, uh, probably like even two, three weeks after that, the the inverse happened. All of a sudden everyone started to move everything online uh, and so business started booming and it hasn't really stopped since then. Um, so we're very fortunate to be in an industry um, that fav- that is favoured by this situation. Uh, and operationally, we're the same, but we're just trying to keep up now. We're just trying to scale. And coming back to support, I think that's one of the hardest things is how when you've created a brand that is you uh, and your tone and your voice and everything, for your company's brand is you. You have to be able to extract that and formalise it and turn it into a process and and policies and then share that with the team. And, and we've had to do that really quickly. And I think we've overall we've done a good job, but I think there are a few bumps in the road there where our support really wasn't what it 
had been in the past and uh, that's one thing I've been mindful of just like and we need to we need to get back to the scaled version of that very personal relationship that we had with each of our customers early on you know how do you scale that uh, it's not easy, but we're, we're working really hard at it. So our team has to be connected, even though we're remote, we're on Slack, you know, obviously every day uh, we have team syncs. So we, we have enough team meetings that uh, everyone's connected, but at the same time we don't want to have meetings just for the sake of it. Um, so there's a balance that needs to be struck there. So operationally we're the same, but we're just trying to scale as best we can. I like that. And there's something very... Um very good about trying to keep that personable, that brand, that tone of voice, that level of commitment to your customers that you've had, even when it was just the two of you potentially at the beginning and trying to scale that. Because I think there's a big misconception, especially when companies are starting and then it's very early days and they only have, you know, the founder or maybe two co-founders and people obsess over trying to write the brand guidelines and we try and tell companies to forget about brand guidelines, logos, fonts, or anything else. None of that really matters. And that actually your tone of voice and everything else, when there's just one of you or just two of you in a company, is you. You are the brand guidelines. You are the tone of voice. And if you can start by showing that and using that, then your brand guidelines are writing themselves, which sounds like the position that you've got yourselves to uh, now, which is how do you systemize and grow that particular way of doing things, that way of talking to people, that personable connection with your customers. And I think that's fantastic. That's a huge learning point for, for a lot of businesses, whether they're online or not. But it's, um, I think that's great. I absolutely love that. I'm, I'm glad you said that, actually, because I've been harping on to Dean about, you know, saying, oh, we need to really formalize our brand guidelines. Um, but the thing that really is on my mind with that is our, our tone and voice and making sure that they're uh, properly communicated because I would love to not that I not that anyone wants to be redundant but I think a good leader in a company uh, if they've trained their team well can be redundant you know they can if for some reason they're, they're suddenly not around the business keeps moving I think that's the most important thing uh, and what we keep in mind but I, I think the, the the tone seems to be at the moment uh, quite positive um despite everything that's going on in the world. It was interesting. I was talking to our accountant about this and um, he was saying to me that, you know, when the global financial financial crisis hit, I think 2008, 2009, it was a very different attitude he was seeing. It's always so interesting talking to, if you can talk to your lawyer, if you can talk to your accountant about what's going on in the world, they're very interesting people to talk to, not just because of their profession, but because most of the time the industries that they represent, the clients that they represent are diverse, but they, they see these trends across industries. And I think sometimes in tech and, and uh, in what we do, we only we stay within uh, advice from our industry and we don't think that anything else is applicable to us. And I think the conversations that I have with our accountant in particular is, is very insightful. And he said one of the biggest differences he's seeing with this current economic crisis that he didn't see um, in uh, 2008, 2009, was that people really want to help each other out in a way that he's never seen before. So rather than freaking out and wanting to get their invoices paid faster from their clients, they are really wanting to put measures in place to show grace uh, to people and to allow them time 
uh, to be able to to catch up um, and that that across the board has has just really blown him away. And I just thought that's what, and that's what we've seen with our customers. It, that resonated with me because I thought, you know, with paper form, we're attractive to such a range of, you know, we, we have people who, we have dog walking companies, we have, we have accountants, we have legal teams, we have restaurants, um, we have other tech companies using us. And across the board, you know, once in a while you might have a conversation with someone and you can feel the anxiety in their voice. I think you can talk with someone on support and you can tell that, you know, they might be grumpy or angry or nasty. But if you can just be patient with them, eventually it will come out that really they're just showing fr a frustration. And at the moment that's going to happen more than ever. But overall, the conversations that we've had, the attitude that we've had from people uh, when we talk to them about their situation and we're trying to help them out is is them saying, thank you so much for helping me. I, I'm i going to come back absolutely fiercely in two or three months' time. Like I, um, I'm going to show everyone in the best way possible. And I just uh, am really, really pleased to see that attitude. And I think it's, it's really uplifting for our team to have those interactions as well. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And as soon as everything started, kind of in beginning of March, we sent an email. I was in France on holiday, supposed to be here for two weeks. That's been four months now. Um, but the as soon as I saw what happened in Italy, then uh, Spain, and then I knew France was coming anytime soon. And I actually sent out an email the week before the UK announced um, lockdowns and said, look, viewing what's happening in the world, et cetera, I think, you know, Everyone needs to not panic um, in regards to our relationship. Just give me a call. Uh, no contracts are going to be enforced. No invoices will be, you know, hounded or sent to debt collectors or anything like that. But literally just give me a call and let's talk. And we had a couple of people whose industries literally stopped overnight, um, people in education sector in particular. Mm -hmm. And our initial reaction was, look, we're tearing up the contract. Don't worry. You've got no more obligations towards us put everything on hold, whatever you want to call it, that's fine by us. But what we'll also do is we'd like to check in once a week for an hour and just make sure that one, you're okay, two, if we can help with anything, point you in the right direction so that people didn't stop marketing altogether. Um, and what that mm -hmm. actually ended up breeding was a ton of clients that sort of shifted to a more coaching kind of environment, something completely new to us. Uh, we had people come back to us as soon as things sort of started calming down about a month ago saying, look, thank you so much for the support, but right, we need to get started again properly now. And all of those conversations and all of those parts come back to something that both of us agree on very strongly, right? It's a human to human aspect. This isn't just a global financial crisis or anything like that. Yeah. This was human to human and everyone was in the same boat. So I think that's I love hearing stories about that. And I think it's the one good thing that might have actually come out of this is to remind us all that we are all human. We are all stuck in the same kind of mess most of the time. Uh, and actually, you know, helping each other out can not only be a nice thing to do, but it can also be very beneficial for business. Very beneficial. And because it's such a bizarre situation, there are, I think, so many businesses that will be business as usual when they can get back in office. There are some that, you know, this might unfortunately accelerate um, their closure, uh, but there there are a lot of businesses that they just need a break, and if you can give it to them, then then now's the time to do that. It's it's funny. I saw a post on on Facebook about someone someone saying something about um, not uh, devaluing your product by giving cutting people a break during 
COVID and I thought, you know what, I'm all about sharing the value in product. Uh, if there's one thing that, that we say very clearly to our customers is if, if they're saying, oh, I, I, I think this is not this is not worth it for me it's not you know we say well then it's not worth it for you that's fine then pay performs not for you like if you don't understand the value we can either show you the value and if then your response is that it's still not a value to you then that's okay you can go and use something else that's 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 cheaper but that's very different to when someone is in need uh, who works really really hard and usually does well is put in very quickly overnight is put into a difficult situation you have an opportunity to help them out it makes sense and it, it doesn't just make sense for you in terms of your brand um, and those interactions but economically speaking for us collectively uh, I think if this pandemic has taught us anything it's that your actions impact other people and it's not just seen in the disease itself but the impact of that economically speaking if you can do good then doing that will have a profound impact on everyone on an on an ecosystem i couldn't agree more and i think that's an amazing place for us to wrap up because i could continue this conversation for hours but diony where can people find you dean online and also paper form you can find me on linkedin uh, i think i'm just diony mcpherson uh, you can find Paperform at paperform.co. So that's paperform.co. Uh, and you can jump on chat and there is a chance that you'll talk to me straight away as well. Yanni, thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing your story. Uh, really, really enjoyed this episode. And again, for everyone listening, remember human to human interactions. What a great way to, uh, to round up. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate your time. The All About Digital Marketing podcast is brought to you by Social Inc., a distributed digital marketing agency specialized in delivering results through online campaigns. Whether it's content marketing, social media marketing, online advertising, or web design, we've got you covered from strategy through to delivery. If you're struggling with your digital marketing, get in touch today by simply visiting www.socialinc.co.